Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Hello and welcome to Brian Moore's Full Contact in association with The Telegraph. I'm Brian Moore and alongside me in the studio is The Telegraph's rugby news correspondent, Gavin Mayers. This week we're joined by Newcastle Director of Rugby, Dean Richards, and the RPA's CEO, Damien Hopley. We'll be getting a look at the Pro 14 with former Scarlet Rupert Moon, and Earl Crabtree joins us to give a rundown of the Super League playoffs. Gavin, you are... Hot back from the England training camp in Oxford uh, for the Lions left out. Can we read anything into that? Um, I think we can. Uh, w- I think Kyle Sinclair um, will probably be the most concerned, having had such a stunning Lions tour. I think he was one of the bolters that that was lucky. Well, no, he was he was one of the names that we, not many people expected to make the squad. He ended up making the Test squad. Great character on the tour. Um, he has come back and not made the cut. Um, to me, it's a little bit more of a um, a slight warning from from Eddie Jones. There is another camp to come in Portugal before, and he. You know, this is not. We must emphasise the squad for the autumn test series. So I think it's just a little wake up call. James Haskell has had a couple of injury problems, not been back to his best form. Uh, George Cruz as well injured. So I think there's probably less of an issue there, but. So Certainly, I think uh, Eddie Jones is, is casting his eye around. He's not afraid to make some changes, and he's certainly not going to be swayed by the Lions selectors when he picks his squad. Is there a, was there a tone set? You know, Eddie likes to uh, he likes to do things differently. Is there anything different to this one, or is it just hard work again? I think it's it's always hard work with Eddie. Um, I think he was. Uh, very impressed, shall we say, by the manner of the the Test Series victory in Argentina when England were without some of their key personnel, some senior players. And I think the manner of the victories against Argentina impressed him. Um, But he is now in the mode of trying to find, an. he mentioned it last week, an X-factor player or players who can really make a difference at the World Cup and probably most interesting of all has been the inclusion of Marcus Smith the 18 year old from your old club Harlequins um, who's caught the eye I think he's played just three premiership matches went up against George Ford at the stoop on Saturday I was there to see them go head to head um, 
typical Eddie though uh, this guy potential superstar gets in he's told he's going to be cleaning George Ford's boots all week (laughs) (laughs) an apprentice yes that's what he said well you know there is an approach which Eddie has and it is designed to keep everyone guessing and on the toes so the maximum effort is there Um, I think he what I think he, he will be quietly pleased about is the fact that he's starting to get because when I when he first arrived I, I spoke to him and um, he was quite plain that he wanted three genuine contenders in every position and he said if I get that then we'll be in a good place and he's getting you know in some places he's got that and others it's slightly less uh, so but um, in every position now you can see um, the you know the, the embryonic uh, contest going on, and uh, you know he's he's very well aware of what it takes to uh, to win a World Cup. Um, let's move on to Sean O'Brien's comments about the line. Now I you know I I hear what he says, and I don't have a problem with him actually. Um, you know he was I thought he was simply being being open and honest and saying you know maybe they could we could have recognized earlier that the uh, options might have changed what do you think i think the thing that surprised me probably the most was the timing of the comments um i think probably the lions coaching team felt if he had felt such strong views they should have been raised during the tour um and i think there is there is something in that that's for such a senior player the thing is, Brian, this wasn't a, a player sniping from the fringes, a dis- discontented player. This was a player front and centre in the test team and probably one of the outstanding performers for the Lions. So the words, um, I think, surprised and disappointed uh, the Lions coaching team. I think when you come back from New Zealand with a drawn series that most people expected the Lions to lose. Now, I know Sean O'Brien said he expected to win a 3-0. And that was great to hear because you want that sense of belief. But realistically, I think most supporters, most pundits would have thought a drawn series uh, was a successful series. So I think in that sense, you have to look at his comments and think they're quite harsh, but they are technical comments and ones that I think the Lions board will have to take on board given his seniority in the squad this, this summer. Uh, let's move on to the um, Aviva Premiership. It continues to uh, excite with close games. Um, you can't get much closer than Bath. Uh, the one-point loss, 32-33 to Newcastle. We're speaking to Dean Richards later on. But it, uh, Dean, I think... Um, I think he'll be quietly pleased, very pleased with uh, the, the the way the, the thing has gone. Are they genuine contenders for for a European place? I think they have to be. I mean, you look at, um, you know, Newcastle have been slowly building a team. They've been trying to play very a, a very attacking brand of rugby. And I think when you start the season, you look at the you know you look at the you look at the table. There's probably Newcastle find themselves in the top four. Um, there's a group below them all with sort of five teams with two wins and then you've got a group at the bottom probably fighting for to avoid that relegation spot. I think Newcastle won't get ahead of themselves. I think for the first time in a number of years, uh, post-Johnny Wilkinson's time um, at Newcastle, that there is a real sense of optimism and a, a frisson of excitement about what they could achieve and uh, will certainly be a team to watch this season. Well, one of the things that shouldn't, um, and this is no disrespect to them, but they're not going to be hampered by you know multiple withdrawals over the international series, so they should be able to keep the continuity going. Oh, massively! You know, that's it's you know we see that the equivalent in the football stage with the Champions League as a team in the Champions League or not. Newcastle can get away. Uh, 
can plot their season knowing that realistically there's not going to be disruptions too many international disruptions or uh, or the, the the Champions Cup uh, profile matches so um, no it's 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 there and I think we saw last year with Saracens sort of slightly losing their way for the first time in the league when they lost all their England players and eventually they couldn't quite replicate the performance they, they managed in Europe um, Newcastle are a team that won't have those problems well, Exeter uh, impressed against Wasps, but uh, I think the story of the, uh, apart from Newcastle, that is, the story of the opening uh, rounds has to be Northampton Saints, doesn't it? You know, they were they were absolutely appalling, uh, you know, against Saracens. No, let's not get away from it. But since then, uh, whatever has been said, whether it was uh, direct from Jim Malinder or whether it came from the squad or, or a combination of, of the two, the fact is that, you know, they've put these performances together and uh, they deserve to be where they are. I think uh, I remember speaking to Tom Wood in the wake of that defeat by Saracens. He was talking about the humiliation of the, of the performance um, to concede so many tries in the first half at Twickenham. And we shouldn't forget that Northampton had a particularly impressive pre-season campaign. Not how much you can put in stall by that, but players, I think when they get a sense, they know when they've some good signings have come in, they know when the players are, are conditioned. They went into that opening game thinking that they were ready for this campaign, so to lose so badly was so disappointing. But a sign of a good side is how they respond to those setbacks, and they have done so... Um, uh, it's funny with Leicester as well I mean Leicester were the side they beat Leicester had lost their first two again and now Leicester I saw them sort of uh, enjoyed a really exciting victory over Quinns both those East Midlands sides have responded they've won their last two Leicester Northampton their last three and I expect them to be in that top four just finally for this uh, point, uh, the Six Nations could be without a sponsor. Now they're putting it down to Brexit. Um, you covered this. Uh, is it realistic that they will go in without one? Or I, I, No, they will definitely get a sponsor, Brian. I think the price is going to be the thing. Um, we... The Six Nations have a launch every January at the Hurlingham Club in London, and I can remember speaking to John Fian, uh, the chief executive of the Lions, or the Lions and the Six Nations, about their hopes for a new title sponsor. And the Lions uh, board were very bullish about the prospect. There was figures of a hundred million pounds record deal, six-year deal on the table. Um, that just hasn't materialised, and I think the combination Brexit. Uh, seems to have affected spending plans, long-term spending plans of companies who are questioning possibly the, the value of, a, of being a title sponsor at this particular time in the business cycle and with the uncertainty. Uh, we've now got a position where we're less than four months from the start of the tournament and there is no title sponsor. And I think that has alarmed some senior members of the Lions board and the home unions because we know how important sponsorship funding goes straight into the unions. They split it um, as well as with France and Italy and that, that goes away to paying the, the high bill now for professional rugby. Well, there's no doubt that um, if they do uh, not get a reasonable amount and they have to make do, that will have a direct uh, impact on on all the home unions, actually. Oh, no, it, it will. And uh, England are, are, with their financial muscle, are probably the most, or, or will be the least affected by this. But um, you shouldn't underestimate the, the Six Nations is the cash cow for, for the home unions, for European rugby. And... Even just the 
the sentiment or the 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 sense that this is meant to be the biggest rugby tournament in the world and if the biggest rugby tournament in the world can't attract a high profile lucrative sponsorship deal it just puts that seed of doubt into just how valuable is professional rugby and has it been overplayed Well, not many people would have put Newcastle as, uh, well, they were joint top for uh, a brief moment over the weekend, but uh, we can speak now to someone who might have predicted that. It's the director of rugby for Newcastle Falcons, Dean Richards. Hello, Dean. How are you, Brian? You are right? Uh, it was a close thing at the weekend. Yeah, it was. And, uh, uh, you know, 19-0 up, you'd have expected us to kick on a little bit. We missed a chance to kick on a bit, uh, allow them back into the game uh, and uh, and then caught it back at the end. So yeah, we, I mean, it was a great game yeah, for, for the neutral, uh, but uh, no racking for those that uh, that weren't the neutrals. I would imagine. I mean, a one point thirty three thirty two win. That's the sort of game you know. In previous years, you might have lost that. Yeah, and, and the same could be said for the sale game. You know, it came down to the, the final push at the end, and uh, in both games. And I think that's the measure of the guys that we've got. They're building in confidence. They're getting better. They they've got confidence in each other. And, uh, and we're starting to win these games, the, the, the close games, in the final minutes, which is uh, just something we didn't do three years ago. Uh, several players that stood out for me when I watched it. Um, uh, Takalua service, um, no backlift, just uh, straight, not, no, no stepping. It, it, gives, um, it gives the backs a bit more time. Yeah, Tan is uh, since his contest has uh, has improved immeasurably, and you know he's got he's got this desire, this this ambition to to improve all the time, which I think is our, is, is our same. Which but but it also typifies where we are. I think we're a little way behind some other teams in terms of of, uh, of being a little bit short in experience. Uh, but that experience will come as the years years go on, and and the side will develop. And uh, the hooker Santiago. Kino, um, not necessarily a huge player, but he runs good lines and good hands. Yeah, to be fair to Santi, he came to us as a, as a wing forward, and we've converted him to hooker. and And the progression has been that you know he's played a little bit of time down at at Darlington Mountain Park, and uh, at first applied his trade as hooker there. And then after that, as uh, went up to Rodham for a short period of time, and then this year we we've kept hold of him and and we've pushed him in uh, into that first team spot over the last few weeks. And and to be fair to him, he's 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 turned 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 up, produced the goods, and uh, and he's playing out something well and deserved his his chance last weekend. You've um, built the squad incrementally, you know, adding year by year. Uh, and what what's interesting to me is you've got. Uh, a number of overseas players, like a lot of people have, uh, featuring heavily on the islands. Now, you're not necessarily sure what you will 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 get there. What do you look for when you're uh, looking specifically for an overseas player? Um, I, I love first and foremost at the the character. Uh, that more than anything, uh, you know. I've got a good group of local boys, um, boys that have come through the academy, been brought up in the in the area, and I think guys that come in, uh, I don't want them to to think it's all about themselves. Actually, they have to fit into to what the club's all about, and the, the and it's all about the, the northeast. To be honest with you, and and it's it's not it's not as straightforward up here as it is down at the other clubs. You're out on a limb. Uh, it's a fantastic place to live, uh, but at the same time, you are out on a limb and, and you're quite exposed in certain ways. And uh, 
and people have to sort of fall into it and buy into it. And if they don't, then it's never going to work. Yeah, I don't know if this is being a bit precipitous, but it it feels a little bit like you when you started at Quinn's and started um, augmenting and, and changing the style. Um, I was very it was very noticeable to me that the the offloading game, keeping the ball alive, featured heavily. Is is that a purposeful thing? Uh, I think uh, I think a lot of that has to do with the way the game has developed, uh, our, our style of play as well, which which gives us opportunities to do that as well. So so there's a lot of things which which probably factor into that, uh, and I don't think there's you know any, any one thing. You know, Dave Water being a made head coach this year means that we've got more of an attacking focus this year than we probably had the year before. But at the same time, the way the game has developed, and the type of athlete that we've got, and also the quality of players that we've now got. You, you mentioned Tane earlier on, but we've also got people like your Josh Madavaises, you. Your, your Nicky Gonovers, your Toby Flitz that come in, along with your Chris Harris's, your Juan Pablo Sacinos, all these sort of boys that are capable of doing it, probably just needed that that ambition that's shown by some of the, the more senior guys and more experienced guys who have sort of raised the bar slightly and, and enabling them to do that. How much of an advantage do you think the, uh, the, the pitch being an artificial surface is, or is too much made of that? Uh, well, it didn't didn't have any bearing over the weekend when we played down at Bath, and it certainly didn't over at Sale. So, so in that respect, none at all, and it didn't help us over in Philadelphia. Although we didn't get anything out of that, um, it, it enables us to to get a consistent service to what we train on week in week out, and it doesn't matter whether it's you know rain, hail, or or, or sunshine. In that respect, we know exactly what we're going to get. And, uh, and, and from that side of things, you, you can go out there, you can practice things in a way that you want to practice them. Um, but, but that's probably the only advantage from it. Uh, it has its disadvantages. Uh, I, I don't think you can actually train on it as long as people think you can do, just purely because of the type of surface that it is. Having said that, you can train more with, with greater intensity for short periods. You... Um... You, you've got, uh, well, it's a great start for you, 14 points, and you must have targets. What, what, uh, what's the realistic expectation now you've, yourself in this manner? Well, yeah, I think you know me, Brian. I, I never set targets. All I want is the boys to go out there week in, week out, and, and try the hardest, uh, play within the structure, don't deviate, and, and the rest should come. Um, the, the problem you get is that occasionally people will, will deviate from what the game plan is, They'll uh, and, and for one reason or another, you probably won't get the pass of the ball. The referee decision will go against you. So, so uh, you know, you, you, you're sometimes faced with what you're given, and and providing the boys put it in both in training and on the field, then ultimately what will be will be at the end of the season. You've got uh, well, some might have seen this as a uh, as a fixture which would decide uh, or help decide. Um, who languished at the bottom of the table, but it's now an eminently winnable one. London Irish next. Are you confident about that? Um, listen, I'm no more confident about that than I was at the weekend and any other game that I've gone into this year. If you look at the Northampton game, if you look at the last half an hour of that game, they played with a huge amount of ambition and would cause any side a lot of problems on their day. And in that respect, they have to be respected by, by not just by ourselves, but any other team coming up. So it's not easy. It's not going to be easy at all, and uh, and we know as, as as well as the next team that it's going to be a hard game, and we're going to have to earn a win. Just uh, bef- before you go, can I ask you what, what's your view on this extended season? Is it tenable? 
Um, and until the, the the real sort of structure to it sort of comes out and what's expected of the players, um, I, you know, I, I, it's difficult to comment on it, isn't it? And I, and I don't think the real structure has has come out yet. And and I think people tend to forget also that in the players' contracts, there's a certain amount of games they can play uh, as as well, and a certain amount of rest period as well that they'll get through their contract. So. So they're not going to be asked to do anything or any more than than they're already asked to do. It just means that they might be might be asked to do it at different times throughout the year. Uh, but I, I think it's, it's it's going to be very difficult to comment upon, upon until the, the the real structure comes out and we understand exactly what is going to be included and wasn't included in there. Well, Dean, it's been a great start to the season. Long may it continue for you. And thanks very much. Cheers, Brian. Thank you very much, Ryan. Well, uh, talking about the Six Nations, there were proposals to shorten it from uh, the, the, the current thing to five weeks. That wasn't successful. Then six weeks, and I don't think that's been successful. And that leads on to the question of the extended season. And there have been various rumblings now and players speaking out. And I'm pleased to say we can speak to someone who uh, knows exactly about the minutiae of this issue because we can speak to the CEO of the Rugby Players Association, uh, former WAS and England centre, Damien Hopley. Hello, Damien. Hi, Moore. How are you? Uh, OK, the, um, the plans for the Six Nations are tied up with uh, uh, revision plans for the whole of the season. Now, I thought we'd been through this um, and it, it seems, this seems to be to be another, I don't know if it's a power grab, but certainly uh, a flexing of, of influence or proposed also by, by the Premiership. And I spoke to Dean Richards about it and he said, well, you've got to wait until you see the total proposals. He's not sure what they are. And uh, that he reminded us that the players are on contracts where they can only play a certain number of games. That's not the whole story, is it? No, I guess where we're slightly sitting in the dark, I guess isolating the Six Nations, um, we weren't, uh, I wasn't at the meeting in San Francisco earlier this year, which, which addressed the global season. And to be perfectly honest, there was a, a huge vacuum left after that meeting because World Rugby didn't produce what had been agreed. And so as a result, I think a number of parties, including the Premiership, came away from there thinking something had been agreed. And then there was a land grab as soon as this sort of... Uh, this void opened up and as a result we've now got this whole trial by media which I think everyone's trying to get away from but we've got this thing playing out very publicly the, the main beef the players have in all of this is there's been an absolute lack of consultation and whilst we've all been told or promised that we'd see the sort of uh, promised land when it was all revealed in all its glory no one knows what that looks like yet so as a result, you've seen a lot of very miffed and, and angry players sort of come out saying the thought of an extended season horrifies. And then clearly, there's you know we've seen what's gone on in, in the NFL at the moment over in America with our dear old President Trump and, and the players uniting as one. And I think we're out of the clubs a lot at the moment, and we're seeing the players sort of saying, you know, in, in the absence of anything concrete, we just don't know what's going on. And the thought of an extended season, you know, is, is sort of anathema to everything that else is going on around rugby and player welfare. So. Because I was because I was making the point that, irrespective of how many games you play, the fact is an extended season keeps you in the mix in terms of training, in terms of preparation, in terms of psychologically being ready. You know, for a longer period of time, you don't get the break where you say, "Right, I am definitely off now. I can yeah, definitely I, relax." And, and do you know what? I've heard a, a meeting recently talking to a number of the experts in the field, so the performance directors, strength and conditioning. 
Um, so, so the medics, you know, the, the people who we really believe are the absolute key to this. And uh, one of the attendees said, well, you're still at work if, you, if you've still got an extended season. Yeah. You know, it's not as if you're having time off or rest time or downtime. You're still at work for 10 months, which is, uh, well, I think it just strikes terror in the heart of every single professional player I've spoken to. So um, I think that's it. And really, we, we've said since day one, get the off-season right, get the playing structure right, and the commercial piece will flow from there. So we, we've not deviated from that, and we're still not deviating from it, but I think you've got to start with the off-season to give the players sufficient rest and recovery, time away from the game, both physically and mentally, as you allude to, and, and then you can actually start to plan a season that works around you know, global strictures, Six Nations, whatever it looks like. But uh, I think we're sort of trying to you know, I guess we're trying to run before we can walk here without understanding what the physical, psychological expert opinion is from the um, strength sports advisory groups. Damien, Gavin Mayer is here. Hey, Gavin. Hi, mate. So it's just, I mean, I, I think one of the other things that struck me about all this, the the sense that you, in a four-year cycle with the Lions, you could have a season potentially ending mid-August uh, and, and a new season starting sort of two and a half weeks Two and a half weeks later, and we mentioned the, the the mental, even just the mental stress that that could put a player under. Do you get a sense now, Damien, that um, the players are, and a number of them have sort of quite bravely come out and talked in sort of quite strong words about this? Do you get a sense now that there will, you know, your members will be listened to um, in the coming weeks? Well, I think that, yeah, there's nowhere there's nowhere for anyone to go but to listen, and I think what's been having sort of been banging this drum for far too many years that I can recall, you know, what we've actually got now is a group of players who normally, you know, would just toe the line. And, and the fact that when these proposals came out, the likes of George Ford, Courtney Laws, Latterly, Billy, Vinopola, Joe Marler, our own chairman, Christian Dave, wrote a brilliant article about uh, the proposed extension. Yeah. Our players board met in May and um, the Premiership Rugby attended and, and, you know, there was a very robust exchange around it. So I think that there's, the players are demanding to it and expect to be listened to. And I think this is where the significant sort of gear shift, I think, from our perspective, the players' union comes, is that, you know, you've now got people who are speaking up about the situation, but also they're saying, you know, we can't continue like this. And when people like Danny Kerr are talking about his his concern for players coming, the young Marcus Smith coming through the game and how many years they're going to have in the game, you know, I think Billy, Billy very um, delicately called them the suits and the suits will have to listen. And, and you know, it's, it's just an, it's an organic evolution of where the game's at, that the players' voice is becoming stronger and stronger. I mean, I think, to be fair to the clubs, and, and look, we wouldn't have the game in England without the owners, and we have to respect what they've done. I mean, they've absolutely invested personally into making this rugby where it is today. But I think you've just got to work in collaboration. And, and to have a, a, an isolation issue, as came out about extending the season, just really set the set the uh, the, 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 the hair running. And, and now we're trying to work out how we go forward from here. See, what I, I don't think people really understand this because if you finish in August, say, for example, the Gavin gave, all right, you can say to someone, well, you get your five or six weeks off or whatever, but that impacts on the rest of the season for them because they're starting later. Yeah. They're not with the clubs. They're not with the friends. Everyone wants to be together, you know, and, and united front with, and everyone has the interests of their club at heart and wants them to do well. And if you're a player who is, is sitting out, you don't feel good about that. 
course, of course you don't. Yeah, and, and actually, the fact that you're missing the first four weeks of the season as an international player negates the whole point of extending the season because you're actually saying, we want our players to be available, less clashes in club and country, but... What's the point if, if your top players aren't available anyway? So yeah, yeah. and the knock-on then for the Champions Cup as well. Oh. You know, the, where do you find the, the the hole for that? Because players need to play themselves back into to fitness for that. Too right, Gavin. Um, and yeah, you look at Champions Cup now, and with the greatest respect, it absolutely dwarfs some of the international rugby that goes on. And you know, you've almost got a situation now where in a four autumn international or an international season where you've got four autumn internationals which are bookended by the, the Champions Cup you're, you're effectively playing seven or eight internationals on the bounce yeah. and and uh, you know so you, you get into squad sizes you get into all sorts of different pieces around that so that's where I just feel that instead of this this um, trial by media we, we, we really just need to get around the table and, and work this through and, and I keep repeating let's get the, the expert view of the strength and conditioners, the medics, the performance directors, and, and get them in the Because uh, the other point that's really important here is no director of rugby is going to want to flog his player. And I think we're very lucky with the group we've got in England. The way the players look after, the investment into strength and conditioning, the resources available are fantastic. You know, you look at France, who have a 45-week season. So they and us have the longest season in any contact sport globally. Forget rugby. France haven't won a Six Nations since... 2010. Okay, they got to the World Cup final in 2011, but since then have struggled. And I just can't help thinking there's going to be a knock-on effect around the international performance for England. And, and you know that, whether we like it or not, that that is the absolute jewel in the crown yeah. for us. If England go well, the entire sport goes to a different level, as we've seen under Eddie and Dylan and the guys. So that that's the most important piece here to consider. Is it's a collaboration, not an isolation issue. I suppose the thorny question comes to this. If you're not listened to and if the experts, strength and conditioning and medical people aren't listened to, you, you can't really work to rule and you can't really uh, do a go slow, can you? The, you've got one option and it's a nuclear option of saying we're not playing. Yeah, and I think the, the really interesting thing, and we, we've always taken this view, Brian, since day one, is, is you know, you've got a, a bunch of very um, intelligent, mature and... Um, sympathetic people who are playing the game and I guess the one group you'd never want to alienate are the fans because they have been you know we are all I think I often pop along with Chelsea and remind myself how fortunate I am to be involved in rugby because sometimes it can be very hostile very Detroit the fans are fantastic in rugby and I think the one group you don't want to alienate are the fans so uh, you know the nuclear option is always there in any sport and uh, I think it's the challenge for us is how can we sort of work this through I think there's enough common sense around the table to find a solution but I keep going back to this thing find an off season that works to regenerate rest and recuperate the players and then build a season around that and I think that's got to be the answer going forward subject to what the medical and, and strength and conditioning experts say well, Damien Hopley calls for common sense. You could be waiting a while, mate. Um, let's <laughs> let's uh, let's hope oh. not. Thank you. Thank you. When, when we get some movement, come back and chat again. Thanks, mate. Thanks, Damien. Right, thanks, mate. Take care. Okay, time now to turn to our Celtic and other cousins uh, in the 
Guinness Pro 14, we can now speak to Rupert Henry Sinjin Barker Moon, uh, commonly known as Rupert Moon, former Scarlets and Wales Scrum Half. And I've got here recently been singing alongside the Abba Valley Male Voice Choir to raise money for charity. Um, I didn't know you uh, you also uh, sang a welcoming the hillside. What's that all about? Well, hold on now. I'm a, I was captain of North Wales, the choir that won the regional championship uh, a couple of years ago. With this one, I was actually in Taunton, Queen's Taunton, Queen's College Taunton, raising money for the England Injured Players Trust and the Welsh uh, Injured Players Charitable Trust. So we were sharing the love. I even sold Mark Regan's shirt. Can you believe it? I couldn't, well, actually, I couldn't give it away, to be honest. Uh, you know, an England shirt, and uh, it wasn't particularly popular. Not one of yours, of course. Okay, mate. Well, that, that's great. Now, we're here to talk about the... Uh is Pro 14 obviously the the shock has to be uh, Leinster's 38-19 defeat to the Cheetahs now uh, Leo Cullen was saying that ill-discipline cost them dear but it was a bit more than that yeah they they did look out of sorts and um I'm sure you've had the uh, wonderful experience of going to Bloemfontein. It's not the not a place for the, uh, the faint-hearted, and uh, obviously at altitude, it's a tricky place. And uh, I think they must have got it wrong, <laughs> completely wrong, because they were so off the pace. Um, it was quite remarkable, and uh, the cheaters haven't uh, done great. But for Leinster to roll over like that, they just must have been out of gas, literally. I mean, it is, for the competition, a good thing. Um, I don't want to take take sides, but what we don't want is we don't want the uh, the new in, in, inclusions from South Africa to, you know, to be whipping boys, and, no. and hopefully this shows that they're not. Yeah, I, you know, I think they're just going to get up to speed. Yes, they were uh, the bottom of the pile in South Africa, but they will get up to speed. Southern Kings are going to take a little while longer, I suspect. Um, but as you know, any team that's uh, based in South Africa, you know they're they're big units, and they'll get the hang of it. And when they do, they'll be a formidable power up front for sure. Gavin Mayer is here. Um, I was just going to ask what you think of the the expansion. You know, we're, we're sort of four games in. Um, there has been some issues of crowds in South Africa. Mm. Um, do you feel? I know it's very early days, uh, uh, but. You know, just do you feel it's working? Yeah, I, th- I think there'll be more transitions over the next uh, few years. I wouldn't be surprised to see um, some, uh, you know, either Canadians or Americans getting involved as well. I think uh, Italy are kind of finding what they're capable of, uh, able to do. You know, it's good to see that they're improving in this campaign. Um, but yeah, I think there are more changes afoot. These guys will. Uh, I played a few, well, many years ago. The South Africans got involved in a competition that we were, we were playing with. And um, it does add something, you know. It adds a little, a bit of variety to it, and um, their quality will improve. Uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, I think it's for the the regions to understand and get used to the fact that they're going to travel a bit further, and maybe they should be staying playing two games away over there rather than just flying in and out. So it's going to, it'll, it'll all level out, but it'll be a good experience for everybody. Uh, let's go to your uh, former club, Scarlets 28, Edinburgh 8. Richard Cockle wasn't uh, very happy with some of the refereeing interpretations. Does he have a point? <laughs> uh, well, you know, you, I don't know if you saw it. He, <laughs> he, he gave him a, you know, I think it was a deserved, you know, red card. So that was a, it was a bit of a silly thing to do. Um, but I just think <laughs> Scarlets are playing some great stuff. I've had a couple of times where I've spent a bit of, in the company of, um, Wayne Pivak and uh, he seems to have just 
got them to all understand how to play together. You know, it's his unique style of management. He's growing into the fact that as being a number one coach, he's been he's got a lot of experience working with other people, and uh, and I think his method of getting to understand the principle of just passing and using the ball, but also they you know they can they can rough it up a little bit up front, but. Uh, Actually, he just seems to be controlling it well at 10 and that's always nice when you go an orchestrator. Uh, Rupert, it's interesting. I was in New Zealand for the for the Lions tour and Wayne's name kept coming up when I was talking to sort of New Zealand uh, administrators and, and people in the game there that, you know, I think he is highly, highly rated um, by the New Zealand Rugby Union as a you know potential yeah. future All Blacks, you know, whatever part of that team but I think it's it's interesting to see him really really making his mark with the Scarlets yeah I, you know I've, I've, I've played and worked uh, under uh, Graham Henry and Steve Hansen and um, they're you know they're, they're both they're, they're guys a bit like Warren Gatland you know they'll, they'll learn their stripes uh, going to difficult places to learn their trade you know Gatland did it in, in Ireland when he was uh, with the old Maori days and going way back when and Hansen did it with Wales and developed some players and took that on the chin when he was, you know, giving Wales a, an opportunity to, to progress and we were forever grateful for what he did. And Henry brought a different stamp and got us some facility. So, Pivak, you know, I'm not sure he's there, but he's certainly got a, a CV and he's done a lot of unsung work working alongside some of the, the greats of New Zealand coaching. And he came as a number two. I think he came to, to work alongside Simon Easterby and that all changed very quickly. So he's had to step up, but I think now he's getting the hang of it. He's a little, he is old school in some of the methods that he has. The team bonding is really important, which is good to see in a way. And it, it's different in this modern professional era, but they all get on and they all get it. And Munster in the final was a very sweet, pleasurable experience for all concerned. Well, talking about uh, styles of play, the uh, Glasgow Warriors boss, Dave Rennie, yeah. um, his big win, uh, 37-10 against Munster, but the style that he's trying to engender, the, the offloading, you know, seemingly on every possible conceivable occasion, um, isn't necessarily a, a style which is going to gel quickly but when it does it's 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 very very effective yeah you know and that's what one of the things i talked about when pivak and i've talked to gareth jenkins about 25 years ago when we were in 92 93 it is a moment when you get it when they everybody gets it and if you're playing that a particular style whether it's the offload or the crash of the bash when the, the whole squad understands it and the penny drop moments even if it's the the big ones up front get it then it's quite special. And I think, that, you know, Dave Rennie's doing a, a good job. Yeah, it can be a little bit um, kamikaze on occasions, but it's pleasant to see, isn't it? You know, thinking back to the Lions, you know, to see people using the ball. Yeah, there was a lot of bashing as well, but there were some scintillating hands and some really great skills. And it was, uh, I like the way the game is going at the moment. And I think the, the rules and the referees are starting to, uh, allow it and and people are just saying well okay we're going to play and entertain as as much as possible and, they, and they're enjoying it aren't they? Yeah one, one, one side they're not enjoying it uh, just we'll <laughs> leave it with this uh, Steve Tandy didn't hide um, you know from the Ospreys 16-6 uh, loss to Treviso simply mm. said look it's our fault Yeah I, I watched it and you know you play, I played in Italy and it's a it, when you when the skids are on and it don't it don't it's not going well it don't, it just doesn't go well okay they had lots of tries kind of disallowed or held up and you know the Treviso have signed carefully and they've done it well and they've got a few you know players players that are just going to grind it out and they've got to seem to a bit more to them this season but 
you know, Alan Wynn coming back, Reese Webb coming back, Bigger going off. You know, those three, once they're in the swing of it after the Lions, will will make a difference. But they've, they've only signed a couple of players, majority, I think, but they've lost Matavesi and, and they, they haven't really replaced. And um, it's for the youngsters that they've been blooding to step up. You know, you, that's the that's you know you've got to see big performances. There's a huge expectation, but you know, cut Steve Tandy in two, and he's uh, you know he's he's Osprey through and through, and he, he hasn't had a bump in the road like this. So it's going to be a test of character for all concerned. Um, going forward, is it too soon to see uh, favourites emerging or not? Um, I, I, I think it's pleasant to see the the Scarlets, my old lot continuing the vein that they'd finished last year, you know, so it's not a, uh, you know, it wasn't a, a blip to have that success in the four games to the end of the season. The Blues certainly have showed, showed a lot of heroism going to Connaught and doing what they did and the young kid, Jared Evans, kicking the ball in that windy conditions to win in the last minute. It's not a place for the faint-hearted there and they, you know, they're the 98% success tackle success, you know, lots of players above 20 plus tackles and that's what you're going to do and they've they're building quite nicely in that, you know, and what Jackman's doing in the Dragons with a bunch of kids, difficult going to Ulster. Um, you know, there, there's, a, there's a lot of quality, but I like, to, I like the fact that the, the Scots are sticking to it and having a go. So, yeah, they, they, they're blossoming nicely. Mm-hmm. OK, thank you very much, Rupert. Take care. Right, it's now time to move codes. And I'm pleased to say we've got the former Huddersfield giant, Earl Crabtree, who will be taking us through the Super League uh, playoff semi-finals and uh, an exciting prospect it is. Earl, how are you there, mate? I am. Good evening. How are you doing? Okay. Um, largely played out as expected when you got down to the, to the, to the previous round. We've got Castleford, St. Helens, Leeds Rhinos, Hull. Now, um, Castleford fielded a, a weakened uh, a team, so to speak. There were, I think, about five, certainly five of, of the dream team at least uh, were out. Hardacre, Eden, um, I think Shenton was out as well. Gale, certainly. Um, is that, when they return, is it going to be just too much for St. Helens? Um, it's hard to say. I mean, obviously, the cliche any given Sunday. I mean, uh, St. Helens are a good team, and uh, Warmsley was unbelievable the other night. So, they need people like that to step up the game yet again and hopefully sort of push them on that extra yard. But uh, Castleford, they just look so good. I mean, I think they're 12 points clear at the top of the league. No one's been able to touch them, and uh, it's just been all too easy. But when it comes to these games, it can all be affected by the weather as much as anything else. And you tend to get to this time of the season, the weather gets a little bit worse, a bit colder a bit wetter as well which makes all the difference and it, you know a lot of it comes down to the kicking game Castleford, Castleford play a very expansive game of uh, rugby league they throw the ball around for fun and uh, they're exciting to watch but anything could happen but Castleford for me they're still they're just still too strong you know, I think if St. Helens going to have a chance, you know, halfbacks then in Richardson and Farge, they've got a, and along with with the the big names, Roby, Wilkin, and so on, they they really have to have superlative games, don't they? Yeah, I think uh, Walmsley for me is just a standout player. He's uh, so dangerous off the back of that rope. He can run. Wilkin, he makes a, a great captain, but he's obviously got to take control as well. Theofage, who uh, sometimes I think in the past defensively has, has struggled, but 
Robertson, I think he needs to take the team forward as well. So there's some great players there, and uh, Ben Barber as well. And I think if Ben Barber has a big game, uh, that could make a big difference as well. But again, I can't look past Castleford. They're just so, you know, they're so entertaining. They've got so many points, and they're full of confidence as well. And I think that makes the biggest difference. Um, home advantage always uh, nice, but is it oh, is it is it that decisive? Um, I, I'm not so sure. I, I don't think so. Home advantage is a little bit different in different places. I know if um, it's at Huddersfield, it's not quite as as good home advantage as it, it will be at Castleford, for instance, if they're at home, simply because of the, the atmosphere that they create. It's horrible changing rooms and that there, you know, the showers literally just dripping on you and they're pretty cold. Um, but not that that should make a difference to you, but the atmosphere there for them getting on the back of each other is, is unbelievable. And uh, for me, in the past, I probably played better away because I've had the fans so close giving me a bit of grief so it can work different ways but um, I, I know it's going to be a, a, an excellent atmosphere it should be a good game as well Well Hull um, have won uh, trophy in the bag uh, they've I've spoken to you several times to people from Hull and they, they've been majorly on the fact that they are timing their run they wanted to make sure they were in the, the playoffs not necessarily um, you know trying to compete with Castleford week on on week, but they they've got a lot of firepower if they if they if they can get the set through if they can work the field positions. Yeah, do you know they've got some big forwards as well, which obviously get the sets moving. But the biggest game for me that I've seen them play was against uh, Wigan only a few weeks back, and uh, they had Liam Watts sent off unfairly, in my opinion. And they they were unbelievable for about 60, 65, 70 minutes of that game where they physically toughed out with one man less. And I just I just saw that bit of character in them that when they really want to put the minds to and they really want to rip in, I believe they can do. And um, I'm looking forward to seeing them because I honestly believe that they could create the biggest challenge to Castleford and I'd love to see that as a final as well. I know Leeds obviously they've been there, they've done it plenty of times and they've improved this season and Wigan as well, they've missed out which um, I'm kind of glad to see. I think Wigan are just having a year off, that's all, with the injuries and things like that. But I could see Castleford and the whole final, I think that'd be spectacular. Well, one one area, I, 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 you know, I think Leeds might have an edge. I, you know, if they play well, they, you know, Maguire and Joel Moon, um, experienced uh, players, got a little bit extra and then shown that. How important will their contribution be? Yeah, Danny Maguire, he just pulls the strings. I think Joel Moon's been a standout player for them this year. I think he got their players per, player of the year. And he's had to play at six this year, so he's been playing standoff. And uh, in, well, I think he's just had to replace players because Sutcliffe probably not done as quite as well as what they had hoped. So he's playing left centre originally, but he's moved into the halves. And he's gone really well, but he's a runner. He's a really good runner of the ball, natural left-hander as well, left foot step, so he can skip across and then step back on the inside. But it's Dan Maguire again who pulls the strings. Rob Burrow as well. He had a huge game against us, and sometimes I think he's underused. But when it comes to big finals and semi-finals Rob Burrow seems to score those really classic tries all Danny Maguire with the support player having Danny Maguire has got to take control and make sure his kicking game is, is bang on point because I think when it comes to semi-finals he's a little bit more sort of control around the rook and make sure you kick long you chase hard you put teams under pressure now Danny Maguire is really good at that learnt off the best obviously in Kevin Sinfield so I expect him to do that and if he has a big game then I'm sure Lee's will do well 
Um, it's always a, a bit contentious to say this. I, I, when I look at the the packs, you know, Ormond Royd, Ablett, Delaney, there's a lot, of, there's a lot of power. They, it, it seems to me, from an outside point of view, that they they could have the edge there. I'm not. I'm not really so sure. I think uh, Delaney came off injured the other day with a hamstring as well, and there's a bit of age there. And these players uh, picked up injuries throughout the year. But I think the likes of like Minicello as well, Liam Watson, um, Scott Taylor, I think <laughs> Gareth Ellis. They've got some size. They've got some quality and aggression. And um, I love that side of the whole team when they when they get fired up and they rip him. And they're quite hard to, hard to handle all that physicality and the aggression side of it. Leeds, they've got some ability as well. Cuthbertson, he's just such a good player. He's offload, especially, and he's one of those players, if he wants to step up and he does step up and get in the ball as much as you possibly can, he creates something. So I think they'll have to watch him, and I think it's fairly evenly matched, but um, I just believe that Hull probably got the edge. So we've got from you the that Castleford, you can't see past them, but whoever wins the forward battle in the Rhinos and and Hull prevailing. What about the million-pound game, Lee Centurion's Catalan Dragons? It's come as a bit of a shock to me. I thought Catalans wouldn't struggle like they have done, and um, I worry for them. Um, I think they've been brought into Super League to expand their game and make the international competition even even stronger. And uh, it's a great hostile environment when you're over there. The fans are brilliant, but I can't believe how badly they've done this year. I really can't. Steve McNamara, he's the guy to get them through the other side. I'm not so sure, to be honest, because of the position they find themselves in. I think it's been really tough for him to go there but uh, Lee Centurions and uh, I think they've obviously really struggled this year but out of the two teams I see Lee winning that one I'm a bit worried about Catalan hopefully I think there's a lot of rumours going around that the the chairman wanted to pull out and things like that that could make things really difficult I hope it doesn't come to that because um, I think next year we kind of need them to sort of step back up and come back in that was the whole point of them being there in the first place and now they don't have that safety net of not being able to be relegated they find themselves and a, a lot of bother. Well, we will soon find out and uh, whatever happens, the uh, four that are there, the two that will perm through will make a, a, you know, a cracking grand final. Thanks very much, Jill. Always a pleasure, mate. Take care. Thank you. Coming towards the uh, end of the podcast, time now to read out the women's uh, Super 15's scores from the weekend. Saracens women 34, Loughborough Lightning 20, Richmond FC 27, Darlington Moden Park Sharks 10, Gloucester Hartbury women's RFC 26, Wasp FC ladies 22, Harlequins ladies 39, Furwood Waterloo ladies 18, Worcester Valkyries 10, Bristol ladies 62. Uh, finally, Gav, I want to uh, draw attention to a story that's just breaking. R- writing in the British Medical Journal and urging the UK's chief medical officers to put the interests of the child first to remove a potentially harmful contact for the game. Professor uh, Alison Pollock and Mr Kirkwood, I don't know his first name, a former NHS nurse and now a senior research associate in the Institute of Health and Society, are calling for the uh, act of tackling to be withdrawn uh, from school's rugby. Now, do you want to make a comment before I go on a rant about this? <laughs> yes, well, this is this is not a new issue, Brian, as you well know. Um, Professor Pollock has raised this this issue um, before, and um, it, it, it's 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 one that um, is certainly an, uh, one interpretation on the risks of, of rugby union, particularly for children. Um, 
I think uh, while it, I think while it's totally understandable that there is a lot of emphasis and study and um, investigation into concussion, it, it is a serious problem for the sport. Um, to me, this looks like a big leap um, from 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 looking at um, sort of the dangers of. Con- sort of successive concussion injuries to just an outright ban on tackling and scrummaging in in the children's game. Um, rugby uh, is well aware of, of of the risk of injury. Is do- doing a lot to try and prevent ri- uh, injury by uh, conditioning uh, the players and, and doing exercises. And there is a staggered uh, introduction to to physicality um, in schools and. Um, Yes, you know, I think one of the, the 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 standout pieces from this report looking at it comes at the end when one of the other uh uh medical opinions questions the the the, the fact that obesity is far more of a risk than, than injury or concussion. Professor Pollock has been on this particular thing for a long time after conducting her own uh, research uh after I think her son was injured playing rugby. She no longer cites that particular study. But the last time this came up and she called for a ban, um, what they did was they collated five surveys over a period of time, some of them going back 20, 30 years, of which there was no agreed definition of what an injury was or serious injury. They then put the numbers forward to to draw something like a 34% risk, which is completely wrong statistically. And you shouldn't be allowed to do that. Also, the signatures to that particular uh, call for a ban, uh, there was no neurosurgeon involved. And again here, neither Pollock or Kirkwood is a neurosurgeon. They are not specialists. Um, there was no context in relation to um, the uh, the other risks. And although this has brought out what it says, it, a damning statistics, and an occasional game of rugby is more, 500 times more risky, more risky than regular cycling, that comes from a New Zealand study of insurance claims. That's not a medical uh, thing. And by its very nature, insurance claims are self-selecting because they occur in certain circumstances when, you know, there has been alleged negligence. So that's a completely, that's not a control study in this sense. When you are talking about banning something, you do not, when, when government goes in to look at things, they do not just look and shouldn't just look, fortunately, at the risk model. You can prove risks in anything. What you have to do is make a sober assessment of whether the risks outweigh the, outweigh the benefits. And if they do, you've probably got a good case for taking action. Here, there is no attempt even to balance against the well-known benefits of um, health. Uh, we'll mention obesity later on. Uh, antisocial agenda, um, the fact that exercise makes uh, children more likely to achieve academically. There are things taught uh, in team sports that you cannot uh, get in a classroom. So there's no attempt to balance it with that, which to me makes it you know, an almost uh, disingenuous point of view. And again, we've got the UN Convention of uh, Human Rights mentioned here and the right of, rights of the child, Article 19. Governments have a duty to protect children from risks of injury to ensure safety of children, which is why we're calling, etc. However, also in that, the... UN Charter says you should act in the best interest of the child. Now, the best interests of the child are not just avoiding all risk, yeah. especially when you come to an activity where you 
actually balance benefits against risk. And if you believe, like 80%, 87% of, of, of parents do, that the benefits of playing rugby outweigh the uh, risks, then actually, if you interpret the charter correctly, you should be making your children play rugby. Now, I, I don't subscribe to that, but that is a misrepresentation. It's taken, again, one part of one piece um, you know, well, it's not statute, but but of course, and this is this goes throughout everything that this Professor Pollock does. It's all selective. There's no attempt to balance. There's no. There's certainly nothing at all given in relation to the benefits. And I'll just end with this. You know, Dr. Alan Carson, reader in new neuropsychiatry, so actually a specialist in the area. Um, said that while removing contact sports will cut injury risks, it's far from proven um, that concussion causes problems in later life. There's no doubt that sport and exercise is good for you and the effect is far more important that in terms of the all-cause mortality than any risk of neurodegeneration. The health crisis facing Britain's children is not concussion but obesity and lack of exercise. Public health clinicians should think very carefully before calling for measures that cut participation in sports. And I'll leave it with this point. If you ban tackling in schools rugby, you would then expect adults, fully mature adults, 18, some of whom you know, are very physically developed, to undertake a, 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 a contact activity, which does have risk. I, I understand that. But instead of teaching them, you know, when my, my two uh, eldest daughters played uh, mini rugby and my nine-year-old is now you know, learning contact, instead of teaching them incrementally and introducing them to tackles in a, a slow, careful and reasoned way, when the collisions are not that big and the disparity uh, in physiques is not that big, witness the fact that she's a girl playing you know, with the vast majority of boys, you then suddenly say to people, off you go when you're fully developed. And if you are going to do that, you have to make some estimation of what that measure is going to do. And I would suggest it's going to have a lot of adult injuries, some of them severe. So for them to call this, for this measure, without addressing the potential consequences is to me scandalous. Um, I... No, I, I, I'm afraid, for whatever reason, Professor Pollock has got this on which he's not going to give up. But what I do question and what I do call out is the selective nature of everything that she does. Right, that's the end. You've been listening to Primal <laughs> Full Contact rant over. I hope it was clear uh, where I stand on this. And it's not that I want to see people exposed to risk. We want to minimise those. No, But, but let's, let's get yeah. this in a proper perspective. You've been listening to Full Contact with me, Brian Moore, my co-host for tonight, Gavin Mayer. Thanks always to our producer, Abby Patterson, and to The Telegraph. Thank you and goodbye. Goodbye.